Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Get Clean Podcast. I'm your host, Khalil Sherrod, and this is episode 33. In this episode, I will be interviewing Kyler Barracks, owner of Big Hog Barbell. Kyler is a Westside Barbell Special Strength Coach and ISSA uh, Strength Coach. He's also FRC certified and FRA certified. So, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this one. He works with tactical athletes in the in the Marines. Powerlifters has an own online business, so very, very well experienced and just a just a good dude. So let's get clean. Mm-hmm. Hello. Yo. Yo. Oh, we got it. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> man, bro. Some yo, this app, this should be pissing me off. Yeah. <laughs> it I always like- does this. Is that it's the intro. It's for some reason. I don't know why. And then and then at the two-hour mark, it oftentimes cuts off, and then I have to reinvite the person that do more. Uh, I don't know why those two things. Like besides everything else, it'd be fine. But yeah, because uh, <laughs> I was like, dude, I got full service right now on both my Wi-Fi and my signal. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, uh, how you doing besides this little hiccup? <laughs> uh, I'm doing pretty good. We uh, ran a physical uh, fitness test for our students this morning so mm. they're recovering from that and okay. i'm just chilling okay um so yeah man just tell everybody who you are and what you do all right well i'm kyler barracks i'm the <clears throat> owner and head coach of big hog barbell i'm also a staff sergeant in the united states marine i've served 11 years now <clears throat> uh, been serving since 2010 uh wow. Off as an 0331 machine gunner, and now I'm an 0317 uh-huh. scout sniper. So I've had a pretty good career two combat deployments, uh, a few deployments to Australia, Philippines, Okinawa, oh, all wow. over the place. And now I'm teaching at School of Infantry East, uh, just kind of biding my time, getting my business started. So when I get out, I can start running that. Oh, so you're so you're so working for the military but then but it's like uh training guys but then you're like in between before you go like maybe open up even a bigger space for your gym is that kind of yeah okay cool yeah so i work out of my garage right now and Mm. very limited uh a few people one-on-one but very limited because obviously uh military has to go first i don't get a choice so uh i do online coaching but for the most part it is on athletes either whether they're under me or not and i'm usually the head pt guy for any course i've gone to since i got all the certification oh what what, what all the certifications that you have so i have issa uh personal trainer strength and conditioning uh west side barbell uh special strength cert uh west side tactical cert and uh a slew of the frs stuff oh, okay yeah yeah my girlfriend is frc and fra I yeah. want her to get the FRR. I need that. Yeah, that's that's the good one. I haven't <laughs> I haven't gone to that one yet. I did the Kin Stretch seminar. I just haven't uh-huh. signed on to be a Kin Stretch instructor yet, just strictly because I I have no point to run that right now. I don't have the time. Yeah, I think also it probably will be hard because like you're gonna rely on class attendance, and there's gonna be a lot of people that because of COVID like won't even go. So I yeah, mean, I feel like that's the last one to get now. My uh, yeah, I've I've thought about doing uh like the online zoom call ones but mm-hmm. i 
I just am going to wait because like, I'm not experienced enough with it yet to like start kind of throwing wrenches like that at myself. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, first of all, thank you for your service. You know, I was, I was well, thank you. Um, and, um, you know, how, how many more years do you think you're going to keep uh, training the guys at the uh, place where you train them at right now? So right now, as far as I know, I haven't gotten confirmation yet. I'm supposed to be here till December of this year. And then mm-hmm. I'm moving on to a, another training command to finish out my time. It's not solidified yet, but it's supposed to mm-hmm. be just another instructor group. Most likely, I hope to get back onto snipers because right now I'm uh, on making of combat instructors so they can go out and fill a billet here. Wow. What, is it, what does it take to be like on that level to be a sniper in the U.S. Army? So to, to be honest, uh, it, it doesn't actually take as much as people think. It's just more than they want to give. So oh, like man. a lot of things is like that's going to wear you down. It's not really the physical demands, but there's just this constant stress. Like I'm going to ask you to put on like an 80 pound pack and you got to walk nine kilometers, which Oof. relatively like, yeah, that sucks, but it's nothing no one can do. But then afterwards you got to sit there for a few days, watch stuff, stay awake, leave. And then you got to come back, walk that same nine clicks, rest for maybe, you know, six hours and then go out and do it again. And that prep time. So really, it's just like the constant stress that like really gets to people like getting to the level of being a scout sniper. It doesn't require any super like elite level athleticism, but it just requires like that, you know, defying tolerance to pain. Mm. How do you stay awake for three days? Uh, so I usually don't. Like, the whole thing of staying awake three days, uh, most people that tell me that, it's like, okay, you didn't sleep. I take that as you didn't sleep well for three days. Uh, right. But basically what we do is uh, we have, like, a team of, like, let's say six guys. It varies, but uh, I'll be on, you know, like, the scope, looking out, looking at what we're supposed to be looking at for, like, maybe uh, six hours, and then – I'll rotate with someone else. They'll go on six hours and then I'll get my sleep and probably go on. So really it's just what kind of roughs your sleep up is like, you're not really moving around a lot. You're cramped up and you're kind of balled up. So when you do sleep, it's like 30 minute windows of just you waking up. And now all of a sudden everything's cramped up and now you got to wait for that to go away. And then you can get back to sleep. After that. Mm. Is there um, also just like the shooting level? I mean, is there like, guys are just more talented or maybe they like grew up shooting it enables them to shoot from a farther distance with more accuracy or is it just the dedication to getting better so from my experience of teaching marksmanship uh it doesn't really matter how much you shot in the past uh Mm -hmm. it matters on the work you're putting in now getting to our level of shooting does require an intensive amount of work but we are also not like the end will be all of I've met some amazing marksmanship guys out there who are no longer or never snipers. Oh, wow. Uh, but uh, what that comes with is things that are going to give you an edge is like if you have like pretty good fine motor skills, trigger uh, going into trigger control and stuff like that, uh, able to stay relaxed in like a high-stress environment. Those are things that are going to help your shooting because um, – Anything from, like, you know, your muscles being tense to your breathing being off can throw a shot. 
Uh, what, what are some things people should know before um, thinking about joining the Army? Uh, so if you're getting ready to join the Army Marines or any branch of service, really, uh, what you're gonna what you're gonna want to do is like consider like where you're going in life. Like, why are you joining the military? Are you doing it for a specific reason? Because a lot of people, what they do is when they join, they go, well, you know, for the most part, is like I was a nerd in high school, or I didn't. I feel like I need to prove myself. Those are the guys who usually get in and go, oh, wow, this isn't really, like, a life I like to live. Mm -hmm. If you're you're joining because you're like, hey, I just want, uh, you know, college credits. I want to do something. I want to gain a trade experience or something like that. I say go for it. You know, uh, you don't have to just join to be like, hey, I serve my country. Like, the military has great benefits for learning, you know, uh, skill crafts and stuff like that. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're joining to serve, usually – the job that you want to look at is infantry because I only say that just because uh, for the infantry, like there's really no marketable skills to go on after that. I hate a lot of people hate to hear that, but it's true. I can't, you know, go out and put like, Hey, I was like really good at shooting a rifle for a few years and get a job at the post office any easier. Right. So uh, if you're, if you're just looking for a service, look more, ground combat, infantry level. If you're looking for benefits, I'd suggest looking at other MOS. Um, so as far as like um, training, like what, what can you speak about that you, um, you know, help them with or, you know, what are some like changes? Because I mean, you coming in as a West Side guy and you have FRC and everything. I know that's probably much different than what a lot of people are used to. Correct. So, uh, I'll give a brief history on uh, the Marine was a victim of weight slow you down for the longest time. And it wasn't until about five years, five or six years ago in 2015, the Marine Corps started uh, getting pushback from uh, strength and conditioning coaches that they had as contractors saying, uh, you're letting these guys who really don't know what they're doing. They're just fast runners run PT Hmm. and they're running people into the ground and people are getting injured because they don't know what's going on. Right. So they started in implementing uh, high intensity tactical training. Uh, I don't remember the exact year it got implemented, but I want to say it was like 2013, 14 timeframe. And then 15, they started trying to revamp it because uh, people still weren't buying off of it. Like we had, you know, some older, older brass, you know, uh, older Marines that just like they, saw a barbell and it was like that's not gonna help me Mm -hmm. so they pushed it and then they turned it into something called uh the force fitness uh instructors so now they actually have a course where you go and you learn about strength and conditioning you learn basic levels of periodization and like workout uh flaws and all that stuff cueing coaching so now we're spreading those out into the fleet. So now the Marine Corps is starting to move towards, okay, we can do all this stuff and more. Mm. The problem is, is that when you get where you get pushback is just the, you never know what you're going to get with uh, the Marines. So when, when I got a, let's say I have a group of like basketball players and I'm, I'm working at the college level. They're all willing to do the program that I put out to make them better at basketball. 
because they just want to play basketball. Right. Whereas in the Marines, you got people who are spread from the ages of 18 all the way up to 36. Some of them have their own ideas about fitness. A lot of them don't want to be there. You know, getting them like, hey, do this and it will help you. It's like, well, some guys go, well, I just want to get big and bodybuild. That's the thing. <laughs> I, go to, I go to shows and stuff. And then another guy's like, well, I just like powerlifting. I'm guilty of that, too. So I'll call mm-hmm. my thought on that. Like, hey, I just like powerlifting. I don't want to run. So, like, when you try and get people on, like, a program that's centered towards tactics, not a lot to fly off on. So that's, like, the biggest thing. <clears throat> West Side makes it easy to apply to everyone. Right. Because I can be like, big powerlifter, we're about to do max effort. Like, we're going to lift as much weight as we can, and then we'll hit some accessories. And then we'll go for a run, so you don't have to worry about it. And then they get all happy. And then for the bodybuilders, you know, I can get more focused on their, uh, you know, chest tries, whatever muscle group they feel is lagging, so on and so forth. And then the conditioning piece at the end always, you know, speaks to all my guys who are super into CrossFit who are just like, yeah, Let's do some cleaning jerks until we throw up. <laughs> um, how is it with like with the training of actual like hand to hand combat plus battling? You know, um, all the skill work you have to do with the actual weapon, and then also in the weight room. Like, how do you balance that? So uh, typically, when you're programming for a tactical athlete, your volume. <clears throat> It's going to be like much lower than what you would want to do for a power lifter. Uh, Just kind of with that, you got to cut pay attention to their schedule. Uh, Anything that if they're going to the field next week, you probably don't want to hit them with like, uh, like straight up like circa max or like high volume and deteriorate those fine motor skills. You want to kind of do more of a, like a, not a, but a medium week. So uh, that's where kind of, I think conjugate, win in this way rather than linear periodization because uh, there's no reason why anyone would be upset if all of a sudden I'm you know going up 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 in weights and changing and then all of a sudden one week I go hey all right we need to drop all the percentages on across all lifts because they're going to the field next week it's right. like works out because I can play with those percentages right how do you um because I know like you said there was this pushback from the guys that are like maybe the older statesmen in the army about, you know, the newly adjustments that you guys are making with strength condition. How did you like, what tests were you proving like, okay, the trainings are working or is it just their normal tests that they're already doing and then they're getting better? So the big selling point to when uh, mm. FFI took off was, um, uh, so I had nothing to do with that, but the strength and conditioning coaches that did run it, they started running people through it and they started uh, incorporating this specific block of training that was dedicated to injury prevention. Injuries mm-hmm. dropped. I'm like, I don't know the exact percentage, but it was a lot. Like we had guys mm-hmm. no longer going to the field going, my knees messed up. My back's messed up. Right, yeah. People were starting to walk tall mm-hmm. and not like be all unflexible. They incorporated foam rolling. So that that got an instant sell after like a few weeks because people were foam rolling and actually taking care of themselves. And so they were, you know, they were able to start like, hey, I feel really good. And then the numbers after that shot up with like lifts running because their body is no longer fighting itself. 
So it got pretty instantaneous feedback from that, and that was the selling point. Do you do um, a lot of FRC with them? I do where I can. So right now my uh, billeting is I am the PT lead for uh, Marine Combat Instructor School, but mm -hmm. I do not come up with the programming. That belongs to the civilian strength and conditioning coaches who uh, wow. are masters of their craft, by the way. But uh, mm. they don't know FRC, and I throw it in when I can, but mm. uh, I also don't want to just – sharpen in to their program so much that like I'm starting to cause problems. Right. Um with with all the um what is it called? Humping that they do when they go up the, the mountain with the pack. I'm trying yeah. to remember what, what is good. You're right. Um do do you <laughs> do you uh well I know you you said that you're the head PT. Have they changed it where they do like maybe shorter distances for faster times, you know, like how Louie does with the sled and all that. Like, mm -hmm. will they do that instead of just doing the, okay, we're doing nine miles straight. Will they do, let's try to get three miles at a faster pace or something like that. So uh, here we do the old adage of you do three miles, six, nine miles and 12 miles, work, up, work your way up to it, which is fine. Um, and that's just how, how it's been programmed. Um, and it, it works the way it is. Uh, but when I was over at the sniper schoolhouse, I did incorporate, hey, we don't need to be logging in these nine-mile rucks. That's just – at that point, we're just causing damage. Let's let's get these three, three miles and six miles really fast and uh, going forth. And when I did incorporate that, uh, we did our scout sniper physical assessment, and the cutoff time is three hours for the 12-mile hike that's in there. And – no one came in below uh, two hours and 30 minutes, which is usually not oh, a wow. thing. I was doing it. So uh, usually you get your 245s, 250s, you know, two minutes to spare. Uh, but at that class, they all beat it by like a landslide. We good? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Sorry. Is that on my end or your end? No, that was definitely my end. I pulled my phone down because it said call loss and said it was overheating. So, oh, <laughs> um, shoot, what were we talking about? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, were you talking about sniper school? How you had them do the threes the and sixes and improve that time, yeah. and they never got over two hours and thirty minutes on the nine. Yeah. So when I yeah when I took that oh. over, I implemented the faster times. Uh, mm -hmm. It worked better. And then we did another one where uh, we started because I made the argument that we're wasting our time doing three miles and six miles, working all, all the way up to 12. Because when they're yeah. coming to sniper school, they should probably already be ready to kind of be a sniper. So all I was right. like, we're going to start with an eight and then work up to 10. So we're not jumping up. So like these large increments into 12 miles. Right. So that's another thing I tried to that worked very well. Uh, but the speed work was definitely probably the most beneficial one that I saw. Um, have you seen any change in uh, like the equipment or weight rooms that the Army has now? So the Marines, uh, I don't know. Or the Marines, yeah. the, I don't know if what the Army's been doing. They got their own like strength thing. And they, I want to say they were kind of ahead of us on getting that 
stuff started. Mm. Uh, but as far as us, we definitely – so we get, we didn't get uh, any additions to really our gyms, but we did get something called these hit lockers for the high-intensity tactical training, and they got all barbells, balance plates, medicine balls, kettlebells, dumbbells, and uh, they come in these little Connex boxes that have a uh, squat rack uprights bolted onto the outside of them. They just drop them somewhere, and then people get the key to them, open them up, and then they set up for their uh, daily training. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so, it's, it's so, super convenient. So no, like, racks or anything like that? No specialty? No reverse hypers? Yeah. Like no, uh, the Marine Corps hasn't gotten into specialty equipment, and I, I don't know if it ever will. I want to say at some point it will, but... Is it just, like, the money far, part? I don't think it's the money. I think it's just getting, like, we're talking, like, you know hundreds of thousands of people trying to get them on all on at least a similar program. Right. Uh, so they're just kind of looking at let's, let's get them moving under a barbell first and then mm. it start getting, cause usually people move up into advanced and nothing. I've, I've also been to the force fitness instructor course, mm. uh, but no offense to them, but that is all basic level, like strength <laughs> and conditioning. So like when, like when I went there, I was like, a weekend I took my test for my special strength cert. So I already had a pretty much leg up on knowledge, but like looking around the room when they're talking about, you know, muscle tissue, the three energy systems, like you got guys who are just like, wow, dude, I don't know. I just have big arms, you know, <laughs> I got freaking sent here. <laughs> so that's crazy. So wow. like it's you're just leaving there kind of at a base level of like I understand linear periodization, I understand like a, a hypertrophy phase of strength, then a power phase, and then we'll work on endurance after that. Uh so that's basically what you're leaving there with. So in terms of specialties equipment, uh we just don't know what to do with it yet. It's really the problem. <laughs> Yeah, that is tough. I mean, it's it's crazy though to think it's like, all right, well, this is the this is what defends America. But like, how much better could they be if if it was a bunch of special strength coaches coaching everybody? <laughs> so I got the privilege of uh, when I took over the PT, uh, I would talk to some of the strength and conditioning coaches in the area, like on Camp Geiger and in Stone Bay. We would use their. Now they do have specialty equipment. And I actually just got a message from uh, one guy the other day about the reverse hypers I showed him. Uh, I was like, hey, reverse hypers, here's what they are. Uh, here's what to do with them. We only have two, so I'm not going to program them a lot, but here's what they are. The guy has religiously done uh, reverse hyper since and said it basically cured his like, lower back pain. Right. <laughs> he's, he's sold on it. The, the work is there. The proof is there. It's just, you know, uh, you know getting the 40 reverse hypers we need to train like <laughs> hundred man companies, you know, <laughs> how, um, how is it training, um, guys in the, in the Marines compared to just like your, uh, online clients or the people that you may see in your gym, in your garage? Like what's, what are the differences? Is it just the mentality or, you know, like speak to that. So, I would definitely say uh, it's hard to say. I would honestly say that some of the guys who come to me who aren't in the military, who come to me for like a specific purpose, uh, 
mm-hmm. are usually more dedicated and driven. Reason right. being is because they're coming to me like uh, one guy. He was a Marine, but he's coming to me for powerlifting strictly. He does everything I say because he's just like, I just need these numbers to go up. Right. Whereas sometimes when you get military, it's not all the times, but sometimes when people come to you, they're just kind of like, uh, I don't really want to do that or I don't like understand that. I don't get it. How is this supposed to help me? Kind of like questioning everything. They'll still do yeah. it. But it's not, it's those are not the worst. It. I have those with the kids sometimes. Christ. Yeah, and like, <laughs> so so you get you get that a lot. Like, um, one thing that some people might disagree with, uh, I'll throw a squat suit on somebody just to make them do it, uh, hmm. so make it like a neurological overload. And I remember one time I was like, I was complaining about hip pain, and I was like, hey, try these briefs on. Uh, they right, should. Yeah. And he squatted more. And he was like, wow, that's great, but it's not raw. And I was like, why the heck are you here? And I was, he was like, well, you know, like, I want to be able to lift raw. And I was like, well, if you like raw so much, when you go to combat, stop wearing your plate carrier and take that bullet from the fourth. <laughs> yeah, go raw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't need a helmet, do you? You got to go yeah. raw. What are you doing? What, is, what does raw mean when you're attacking <laughs> <laughs> no, the the enemy's not gonna be like, whoa, he can squat six hundred raw. Oh no! <laughs> yeah. Um. So what what are the uh what are the type of athletes that you train that are not in the military? List all list all those. So right now I've uh, I've worked with one football player who doesn't uh, go to me anymore, and then uh, the rest have been powerlifting. Okay. Really had much of a big spread. Because most of my time has been dedicated to the courses that I've been a part of. Mm. And um, for the powerlifters, how how do you work in the FRC? Because I see a lot of your posts that you're, like, doing it as part of your workout. And I know that some people, they kind of keep it strictly to either warm-up, post-workout, or it's separate workout. How do you and why do you put it during the workouts, at least on yourself? I don't know if you do that with your athletes. So I do. Uh, so I got to throw that out to John Quint. He's the one who kind of yeah, made me yeah. up and uh, realize this, is that uh, FRC isn't like a warm-up. It's not a stretch. It's not. Any, it's an exercise, whether it's right. rails, rail, all the way up to the you know eccentric neural grooving. Uh, mm-hmm. You just got to throw it in where you need it. Like, do you have like a rough, like me, I have a rough time. Uh, externally rotating on my sumo deadlifts. My hip mobility is just trash and it causes me to suffer. (laughs) Yeah. So what I end up doing is that instead of just doing more sumos, which may correct the problem or ultra wide sumos, which also may correct the problem. I specifically focus like, okay, I need more external rotation. So now I'm going to superset an external rotation exercise from FRC with, possibly an ultra wide sumo or a seated chair deadlift where I have to focus on that external rotation right. and it kind of it back and forth because the way I see it, if, if I need the movement, I've got to make it so that my body sees it as a constant demand. So I will consistently like throw things at it. External rotation. I'll get a little bit more. I'll let that settle in and then I'll focus on something else. And then maybe I'll come back to, to it if I want a little bit more. Mm. My, uh, training goes with FRC. Uh, with powerlifters, I'll do that. With tactical athletes, I put it on the end. And the reason mm. being is because um, 
my programming is set up in a way that if you do the whole thing for one day, it'll be probably an hour and a half of work strictly mm. just because of the amount of stuff I'm throwing in there. But I also made it so that if you're short on time, which in the military always happens and you got like maybe 30 minutes to get a workout, you can still get the max effort and some accessories in there too. So you can cut pieces of it out. Mm. So then tissue training goes on the back end to where I'm having them do like, okay, well I had them slay their back today, but now I'm going to focus on that, uh, you know, shoulder movement. They're going to be doing internal, external rotations, stuff like that. Or if I slayed their shoulders, then maybe I'll work some scapular movement or spine or something else. When you have your online clients, how are you assessing them? Are you taking like a day where you tell them, okay, I want to see all these movements like your cars, or is it also like, okay, I want to see your max and your bench squat and deadlift, or do you kind of have them do three weeks, you know, that Monday, maybe there's a squad, the next Monday is a deadlift, but each of those days you're implementing some FR, FRA assessments. Like, how do you, how do, you do that? Because I know, obviously, if it's online, you don't have them in person, so it's probably harder to go through all that. Yeah, so typically what I do is I take uh, basically a minimum, minimalist approach. Mm-hmm. What I do is I have them uh, send me a video of them doing various cars. I'll send them, like, a link if they need, like, assistance. They'll kind of show me, and I won't give them, like, any real tips or anything, and I try and send them links to videos that just kind of show it. Right, and then I'll yeah. where the compensations come in and then, like, kind of go from there. That's as far as I usually get for an online FRA uh, because, mm-hmm. for the most part, the way I see it, if you're signing up with me to be a tackle athlete, I can probably already tell depending on your MOS, where your mobility problems are. Because there's like three main places. It's going to be the hips, spine, and the shoulders. And if you tell me infantry, I'm going to probably be looking at your, uh, you know, spine and hips. If you, how if much do you focus? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, how much do you focus on like a tibia rotation, patella? Like how much do you focus on that ankle? Um, is that kind of just like the back burner, the last thing, or does it have a strong place as well? So it does have – it depends on what I'm uh, seeing a problem on. Uh, obviously, during, like, warm-ups, uh, anything to do with, like, any kind of movement, speed work, I'm constantly preaching, like, stuff like dorsiflexion, uh, you know, plantar flexion, all this stuff like that, tibial rotation, kind of just getting them moving where they haven't moved before. If I see it being a problem – then, yeah, I'll probably start throwing in more focused work on that. But uh, usually my whole focus for lower extremities goes to the ankle. Oh, okay. For the, for the tactical yeah. people. Okay. Yes, because we spend most of our time in yeah. boots, which is great. Then once you take the boot <laughs> off, all of a sudden they're, you know, baby giraffe under the squat bar and they don't know right, why. Right, right. <laughs> um, what if, now, what, are, what would your focus be for – for FRC for the powerlifters. So powerlifters, uh, it really depends mm-hmm. on. I actually take into more account where your breakdowns on your lifts are than I do just a straight up FRA assessment because powerlifters can get away with being enormously immobile <laughs> and still have good squat numbers. Right. So like me trying to take a guy and externally rotate his hip, and it only goes like ten degrees. Squats, you know, ass to grass. Like, okay, well, you know, 
it's not he's still getting death it's not the problem there the problem is it's just like where where is he like compensating to get through the lift that's where the mobility issues are so that's usually what i focus on for them so i'll usually pick out like i see a lot of uh anterior pelvic tilt that usually gets away uh butt wink always is there and then things like the knees caving in which usually ends up leading me always down to the ankle again why do you think they can get away with so much bad mobility is it just how strong those muscles are in those positions like what you know like if you have like john would say no hip but you can still squat it what why is that i i honestly think it is uh the compensatory muscles around especially the hip like the shoulder you can't really get away with it but the hip i feel like because you got things backing it up that's like a quad hamstring and lower back that will have a sheer amount of pain once you're off the bar like through the lift they can pick up the slack of like your pelvis coming out of you know rotation a little bit or something like Mm -hmm. that that's why i think they can get away with it it's just like the muscle groups can take it especially for equipped lifters like the the suit is helping groove you into position uh so either way that you don't really need a mobile hip to you know have the squat suit catch it at that point because your muscles really taking the strain the suit is um for the upper body um like people dealing like with myself with like a little bit of elbow a little bit like where the pec crosses over in that armpit action like what, what, what do you have people with just the pain part go through with FRC? Like, cause you know, like, like myself, I, I don't know. I'm just not going to not bench. So like, what do you, what do you have people do when they're dealing with that pain? <laughs> so, so if they have, if they have pain, I usually take steps. So if they're my students and they're coming to me with pain, the first thing I have to do is I go and they go, Hey, this hurts. I might see what kind of pain they have, but then I usually have to send them over to the athletic trainer, just uh, barring that's what we have to do. Now, if it's one of my clients, I'm going to probably not go straight to FRC. I'm going to go to uh, body tempering. Ah, okay. I'm going to kind of probably work the area, see what's like, if I can loosen anything up basically, and like kind of, you know, rework the muscles back to where they're supposed to be. Then I will go to some FRC and see if the pain is gone. Mm. If the pain is gone, then that means they have a tightness that I just need to focus on for FRC. Mm. Uh, otherwise, if I can't get rid of the pain through that, then uh, usually I end up saying, like, hey, man, you know, go see your MO tomorrow, your medical officer, and see, like, see what they say. Mm. You know, just uh, especially for online clients because, like, they don't really like to send me videos. It seems like of like, Hey, where's, where's the pain at? And what's, <laughs> what are you doing? It's like, well, when my arm's overhead, it hurts my armpit. I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> How far over? Where? <laughs> Good description. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, have you ever thought about getting the, the ART stuff too? The ART? Yeah. You know, the one with like the scraping and stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, we do that here. Uh, the, the athletic trainers we got uh, here at SOI are phenomenal. They do all the cupping, scraping, manual therapy, all of it. Um, 
I have thought about it right now. I'm just kind of focusing on building my brand. Uh, but as of right now, uh, I feel like I got everything covered, so I haven't looked too far into it. Right, right. How, how, how important do you think is the side? I, I guess if you had to like rank it if, as compared to like the FRC, the FRA, compared to manual therapy, scraping, and like the passive stretching. Like how, I know it's probably more case by case, but like, it's like, all right, if I can, if I have to pick two of these three things or I have to put it in order, which do you think has to be the utmost important? So I know John, he be saying, hey, it's, he's like, you don't, like he says, yeah, passive stretching has a place, but fuck all that. He didn't be doing the FRC because it's solving the real problem. But, you know, like I know that you also have to have like, well, you need a baseline of passive, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, passive flexibility to even be doing pails and rails and all that other stuff so you know like can you speak on that so typically uh in terms of like all the uh all that stuff like body tempering and all that i would still put uh anything from frs up at the top mm-hmm. because like uh you know john quint said it's solving the issue right. it's correcting Whatever imbalance, whatever neurological problem that is causing uh, your tissue to be tight, your capsule to not function properly, it's fixing it. Now, what would come next would be any kind of like manual therapy release techniques uh, from that, including body tempering. Body tempering kind of overarching on a lot of things because uh, it's so so uh, it's so more complicated than people actually think. Mm. But body tempering, I think, would be next because it helps also correct the issue, but it also can relate to what the issue is. Did you take the, one of the seminars or the courses I know that they have for the, for the body temper? So I actually found out uh, just following his Instagram that I only live four hours away from Donnie Thompson. Oh, <laughs> really? And so, okay. Yeah. So I was like, well, shit, I got to go visit the guy. Mm-hmm. I hit him on his Instagram. We set up a time, and then I brought down one of the strength and conditioning coaches uh, from here, and we took a road trip together, visited him, and he spent the whole day teaching us body tempering and painful rollers on our back. Oh, wow. Oh, so you learned all yeah. those techniques. <laughs> yeah, so he showed us everything. He, um, he left it uh, – Kind of gray in some areas, and I and I know he did it on purpose because it's up for interpretation at that point. Uh, because it's like, here's one he, – he approached it the way he should have. He's like, here's one way to do it. Here's why. Uh, now that you know the why, you can probably come up with something else you can do. Mm. Um, what about a lot of, like, the Dick, uh, Dick Hartzell's uh, band and stuff that, I, you know, Donnie loves? Um, and I so, – yeah. All the banded distractions, uh, that stuff uh, that Donnie loves, I absolutely love that stuff. And I honestly like to do it in conjunction with, like, Pails and Rails, FRC, and stuff right, like right. that. Because I think it just adds, like, a resistance factor a little bit mm. to uh, all, you know, all my Pails and Rails. Mm. So, like, I'll do uh, the one where you get in the butterfly stretch and you wrap the bands around your knees and around your back. I'll do that one for a pail and rail. And then I'll like, after I get done stretching, you know, in the pail and rail and my hips feel kind of all like they don't want to move. Then I'll do like three sets of 10, uh, 
expanded adductions with my hips. That way, I just kind of force that blood back in there, and then we get even more recovery. That was the one. That was that the one that you posted. I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, something like that. Uh, the one I posted a few days ago was uh, the oscillations, oh, right, right, and yeah, yeah, same same concept. Yes. Um, how much and how often are you doing uh, uh, connective tissue work? You know, banded pushdowns and uh, banded leg curls and all that. Uh, so I'm doing it relatively on and off. I usually, uh, if I'm not hitting an area with FRC, that's usually what's getting the focus of like banded tissue work. Oh, so okay. my knees do see a lot of uh, the TKEs and stuff like that. And then my uh, elbows and triceps do get a lot of high rep work, banded stuff. Uh, but for the most part, if I'm doing like a lot of elbow rotations. I've noticed just for myself that uh, if I'm combining both at the same time, I'm getting overly exerted. Uh, like my arms are today. So it's either one or the other for me. How many uh, workouts uh, are you doing on yourself and for your powerlifting clients? Are you doing the, just the four major or are you doing small workouts? And how do you determine what small workouts you're doing for what body parts? So typically I will program uh, in two extra work days just for muscle groups that I don't hit. Mm. Uh, but mostly I'm usually just hitting the big four. And the reason I went with that is just because um, of the amount of different clients that I have. Right. Programming takes, takes its toll. <laughs> yeah. And I see anyway, so I'm, I'll sit there for hours and realize I haven't written down a single exercise. <laughs> so <laughs> I got to... I got to make sure that I'm getting all my tactical athletes. And then for powerlifting, usually I'm like, okay, what does this guy need? What does he need to work specifically? I'll give him their three to four accessories and hit that. And then I'll be like, okay, what did I not hit this week? Okay, I didn't hit quads. I didn't hit the lats good. And I didn't hit biceps. So that's going to go into their two days of extra work. Oh, okay. And how do you – do you, will you put that like Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday off? Or, or is it kind of up to them what yeah. days they do? So I typically do, uh, from the feedback I've gotten, most people like to do the Monday through Friday work. So I'll do max effort um, Monday, max effort lower on Monday, dynamic effort upper Tuesday. Wednesday will be that first extra work. Mm. Uh, Thursday will be dynamic lower, and then Friday will be max upper. Mm. And then Saturday also gets that extra work session in. Oh, why, why did you – not do the Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday for, you know, like the Monday lower, Wednesday upper max. So that one. So even for myself, uh, working uh, and all that, I noticed with my clients and myself that when I did the Monday, Wednesday, uh, Friday, Saturday, or Friday, Sunday, we were missing more workouts just due to either exhaustion or just not finding the time and preferring to go to sleep. Mm. Once I switched it over to Monday through Friday and playing with the uh, time intervals as much as I could to get them as close as possible, people were not missing as many workouts. Mm. Okay. And uh, are you having, like, when you, how many lifters do you have that are gear versus raw? Uh, I have. 
I only have two power lifters right now and they're both raw. One is heavily considered going into gear after getting into a bench shirt. <laughs> I won't, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stay away from that shit. I have the fear of decapitating yeah. myself too much. <laughs> I got, I got in one once and, uh, since then it's like, okay, now I always want to be in the shirt. The only reason I don't do it, is I usually don't have a partner with me and I can't get the dang shirt on. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, for the raw guys, have you stuck with still, uh, uh, squatting on a box on dynamic day or are you doing free? Because I've been talking to a lot of the big time conjugate guys and they're saying for their raw guys, unlike with Louis, they don't stick to a box. They go raw on their dynamic days. And I found that to be big. I mean, they say a lot of times it's even bigger. So with your new guy, so I'm, pretty much a newbie still so i when i tested my free squat it was more awkward than anything and they were like yeah do waves with free squatting on dynamic day so you can actually work on the technique that you're going to do in your sport and i found that's helped a lot so like how do, do you do that or do you stick to a box no matter what i'd say it's it's a pretty good 50 50 spread i don't really uh. preference one side or the other the one thing i do coach for my raw guys so Touch the box, don't sit on it, unlike what Louis says. Ah. And the reason being is so that they keep that tension. They can still make sure they're hitting depth, but they're not, like, fully coming out of position and making that bottom awkward. Ah, okay. I'm, so that's what I've mostly been doing. For, for my tactical athletes, like, they mostly squat in a box because it's just less impact. And, right, yeah. Uh, don't, they don't need to be good at free squatting, even though some of them – still argue like, well, I want to be able to back squat <laughs> this much. And it's like, you will be able to, but I just want you to do the box squat. <laughs> right. Because uh, you, you won't die the next day. <laughs> um, cool. I know I had another one. Um, how, how do you choose the accessories after the main lifts? And what are your, like, sets of reps? I know some people like to go really low with, like, uh, five to six and some people are like we'll still go eight to ten and then maybe on uh dynamic day you go above 10 reps and do my more hypertrophy but some people like to do the heavier days on the dynamic day because the volume is so high and then do the high volume day because you're only going to do three to four exercise on the on the max of the day how do you kind of go about that so for my power lifters it's definitely uh like the first one you said my uh max days are uh, usually lower volume, higher weight, mm -hmm. and dynamic days are the higher volume, low weight. Mm -hmm. uh, for my tactical athletes, uh, the accessories are not what I'm worried about so much unless it's the correct specific deficiency. Mm -hmm. So typically they're only getting two exercises, and they're usually supersetted, and it's like three reps of 6 to 15, mm -hmm. or three sets of uh, 6 to 15 reps. Do you ever do uh, heavy good mornings with your tactical athletes, or do you stay away from them? I do. Uh, so I know um, <clears throat> Westside Tactical, uh, Jason, he's, uh, in his experience, has seen that good mornings are uh, a little too intensive for what the purpose of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. I've actually found that uh, when I do good mornings, I can get the same amount of effort in them out of them, if I do a concentric, I can control the range of motion so that their back ah. is 
tackle staying flat, but I've noticed that every tackle athlete, myself included, when I was strictly doing more deadlifts, I was shot the next day because of how much I can put into a deadlift. Right. And it was, it was running that across the board for most people. So I started taking a, you know, good mornings is more of the main lift. The thing is, is what I do with deadlifts is I usually put them after like a main work as a secondary movement at a severely reduced percentage for not so much speed work, but just to keep that form, keep that motion going, so on and so forth. Okay. Um, uh, How do you work around uh, like right now with myself? I have some type of hand injury. I don't know. It's not going away. (laughs) So I can't do any pulls. It doesn't hurt at all when I bench. It hurts a little bit when I squat. Basically, it hurts when it's stretched backwards. So anytime I hold a heavy bar, it hurts like hell. How do you replace if someone can't do deadlifts but so they can still kind of do a pull? Like, keep in mind, I have access to the ATP and all that. So I can do, like, rack pulls on the ATP or good mornings while on the ATP, like stuff like that. How would you work around that injury? So a hand injury hurts when you pulls. I'd probably uh, – have you tried with straps yet? Strap Like actual, like when you wrap it around the bar in your hand? I have yeah. not, and I don't know why in my head I'm like, I don't see how that would help, but I have not done it with straps. So maybe that would, maybe that would help. So uh, that would probably be the, just the first thing i try, just so, like, if I can put back in pulling mo- movements, I will. Yeah. Uh, and I'll just like say, hey, if you're going to be doing rows, deadlifts, any of this stuff, pull-ups, use the wrap so it uh, lets takes the stress off your hand. Right. If not, then what I'm going to probably do is try and get them on a TRX or something that they can wrap it around their wrist and do a pulling motion that way and uh, get back in the game. Ah, uh-huh, okay. Um, and then again, oh, getting getting around those deadlifts good mornings when you do your max effort day how do you make your jumps and what are the reps like do you go like five reps three reps two reps one 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 how do you kind of do it and like what's the percentages are at for those jumps yeah typically uh what i'll do is i'll start with eight reps down to five, three, 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 down to one, 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 depending on what I'm doing. If I'm going for three rep, it's similar. But I always start with uh, eight, just because eight seems like that good movement where they can kind of take the bar, squat it once, see how they're feeling, fix their technique, work it through until that eighth rep is finally perfect. And then we go into fives and heavier weight. My percentages depends on what band tension I'm starting out with or if I'm using any at all. So I have a list of percentages for just straight max effort, no accommodating resistance. Mm. And then I have percentages listed for accommodating resistance so that that way the band percentage doesn't like take over all the percentages. So typically for my regulars, it goes uh, 30, 50, 70, 80, 90 and then up to 100 if it needs to it'll stop somewhere in 90 and then for my uh ar ones it starts with uh 30 to 40 50 60 and then usually it's it's tapering around that 60 to 70 area depending on how much tension i want to put on um for your dynamic day are you doing 
12 doubles, 12 doubles, 10 doubles for the three-week ways, and then the same thing in the deads. Um, do you ever work in the five-by-fives, and how do you decide whether the person is ready to do the five-by-fives or should they do the five-by-fives? So I actually start with the five-by-fives. Uh, reason being is just because uh, usually when I'm training the tactical athletes, I have a group of them, and so I need to get them through the dynamic effort a relatively good time mm -hmm. and same thing with i believe louis ran into is that people were just taking too damn long to <laughs> do the 12 by two or the eight by threes so five by five you know five sets and you're done uh i will bump it up to the threes the eight by threes to six by threes uh if i feel like they can once their gpp gets high enough that they can just like squat next guy squats and then they can get back on the bar right then i'll pump it up to the threes, maybe the twelves. But for the most part, when I'm usually getting guys at first, they'll hit uh, their first set and they'll be like, oh, I'm ready. They'll hit their second set. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, man, hold on. I need a little yeah, bit yeah. of time. I'm like, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Go. yeah. <laughs> Bro, that speed is like shit. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. about what about the bench? Are you doing nine triples, eight triples? Uh, so I usually do uh, five by five with that as well. But oh, really? That one, yeah, that one definitely goes into the the threes a lot more often than the squat, just because that it's easy to get on a bench bench real quick and then get off. Right. There's people for some reason got to psych themselves up for the squat. Oh yeah, <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, how often do you do back down sets on the bench and the squat after max effort day? Because I feel like that's been pretty big for me um especially like as triceps being my weak point so like i'll bench then do close grip benching or like after i do max effort squat i'll do like heavy sets of four or five and the deadlift like uh, do you do you do that or will you go into more like okay your low backs week you're going right into hypers like what do you what do you usually prescribe so usually if uh i do do drop down sets and i really like them because i just feel like you can get like an actual like max rep attempt because you're right. all psyched up to the weight. Yeah. I'll do it probably about every three to four weeks. Okay. Uh, usually, I, usually when it comes to mind, it's been three weeks and I look back and I go, yeah, it's been about three, four weeks. I'll throw it in here, add a couple extra sets with a drop down percentage and uh, go from there. Typically though, uh, for tackle athletes, their accessories are meant to address like technical deficiencies. Mm -hmm. What about now? You said for lower, what are you doing for upper? You said every three to four weeks for lower. I get that. And maybe, uh, at least in my mind, you're doing that because it's a little bit harder to go, okay, I squatted heavy, and now let me go do deadlifts. Is it now on upper body, Do you, would you do more back down sets more often, or is it still every three to four weeks? Probably uh, back down sets. For me personally, I do them probably every other week just because I'm like, all okay. right, I want to get some volume in. Right. And that's just for myself. Typically for them, I also program it every three to four weeks, mostly because uh, what I, instead of a drop down set, usually I have them go like, okay, you just benched a max effort, take these 50 pound dumbbells, get in an incline and see how many times you can press it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's usually what I do for upper body. Something, something similar along those lines. Um, you're, Top three exercises to improve the squat or deadlift. 
So squat and deadlift. First one's probably going to be uh, no hand safety bar box squat. That one has no hand safety box squat. Okay. Yeah. So use typically it just it mimics the deadlift so much if you're doing it in a wide stance because you have to remain so upright and push into the bar because you don't have your hands. You just hold them uh, straight that, or just down? You can have them down. I usually like kind of do the praying motion in front of me, and then I go down and then come back up. Uh, then obviously the reverse hyper. And then uh, one I've been falling in love with lately, uh, I saw on Instagram for Lexing Ironworks, who makes the, the power pole. Uh, Chuck V was showing this uh, where he loaded up the front of his power pole and he was getting down into a deep squat, and wherever the weight pulled him, he would then correct his form and then hold it for like three seconds and then squat back up. Whoa. So you wait, so you go down the squat, wherever the weight pulls you, you hold it for three seconds and then stand back up? No, so the weight will typically pull you uh, forward and out towards your weakest like muscles, so it'll round your back or it'll cause a uh, hip wink very early. Once you get down to where you're supposed to squat at, you fix the position while under the weight, then hold it. Okay. And that one's, that one's I've been really liking too, and I feel like it's been uh, helping me correct some of my form down in the bottom of the hole. What if you don't have the, his device? So if, if you don't have his device for that, I'm probably going to go supplement it out with uh, the chair deadlifts. Okay, yeah. And what would be the reps and sets for these three? So reps and sets, uh, typically what you're going to want to do for the no hands SSB is you're going to want to use that for dynamic most of the time. So you got your 8x3, 5x5, 12x2. Uh, you can do it for max effort, but uh, oh, so this is better this will be a main movement. Yes, you okay, can use okay. it for main. Okay. Uh, and then you can do it for max effort, but if you if you're not confident with the safety bar in general, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> and then the reverse hyper, I like to do sixty percent of my squat max. Uh, for anywhere from four by ten to four by thirty, I usually don't go above that uh, unless someone you know tries to pull a bitch card on me, and then I like <laughs> have to be like, okay, watch this. Wait, but, but so uh, you doing the same weight for ten as you do thirty? You dropping that? Uh, I I'll drop it sometimes. It just depends on how high I want the volume to that that day. Oh, uh, but typically, I'm around. <laughs> I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm typically around fifty to sixty percent of my squat max. Okay, and then um, for the power pole, what are you doing for sets and reps on that? So that one's usually like a three to four by six to ten. You'll see it's it's pretty rough. So like <clears throat> six is about the point where you're just like, all right, I need to take a rest and I'll attack <laughs> it again. What about the chair deadlifts? <laughs> Chair deadlifts, I usually do uh, sets of 12, anywhere from three to four sets. Okay. Mm, now, top three accessories for the bench. 
Uh, so my first one is going to be my favorite superset. I've posted it uh, several times, uh, and we can count them as both accessories for the bench. Is going to be that five board press supersetted with tricep rollbacks. Uh. So that one just gets the top of the bench really put up, and it's probably one of the worst tricep players I've ever done. What is my the favorite sets of reps for both? So typically, you're going to load the five board pretty heavy to get to about a probably a 10 rep and have a couple reps left in the tank. And then the dumbbells are going to be loaded so that you can get 15. Okay. And then I'll do that for three to four sets. Number two. Okay, and then uh, number two is going to be the bamboo bar uh, prep. Any angle, incline, decline, flat bench uh, for anywhere from like near max effort with just like three, maybe a three rep max, all the way up to 20 reps for three sets just to get that stability in. And then uh, my third one, I'm going to say probably – I notice my bench always goes up when I improve my pull-ups. Mm. Always throwing pull-ups in there because what people don't realize is that, yes, pull-ups is a vertical pull motion, but it has very similar scap retraction that you need to do the pull-up as you do in the bench. Mm. What do you do? Do you do a heavier day and a higher rep day, or how do you kind of go by that? So for pull-ups, I'll typically err on the side of high reps for myself just because I have to do pull-ups for my fitness test. Uh, Typically, though, if I don't need to worry about that, I will do uh, one day, you know, weighted pull-ups. The next day is strict pull-ups, maybe even band-assisted. And what days do you usually do the pull-ups on? Uh, it's always going to be usually uh, – it can be either or, but I usually put them in on dynamic effort strictly because uh, I can do a lot of pull-ups. <clears throat> on bench? Ben- dynamic effort bench day? Yes. Okay. For the bamboo bar, do you ever do it standing? Is it important if you're a powerless to do it standing, or would it be important if you do – if you were a tactical guy. Like an overhead press? Yeah, like if you're doing bamboo bar overhead. Yeah. So um, for powerlifters, maybe for just a break or a change-up, I don't really, you know, do a lot of overhead pressing work with my powerlifters other than, like, every now and then. Tactical <laughs> uh, pressing, uh, I actually don't bench my powerlifting or my tactical athletes – uh, as much as I overhead press them. So all their dynamic and max effort is on the overhead press. So definitely it's something that they need because it's a motion that they're going to be uh, doing the job. Oh, okay. um, how often are you doing uh, abs, obliques for their powerlifters versus the tactical guys? Every day for both. Really? Okay. Every, every now- day that I program them training uh, and then I'll – I give out circuits 
for to do on the weekends, just like quick abs. I don't know if they all do them. They say they do, but uh, <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, every every day, core core is like the one thing that's going to lead you to failure if it's not done right. So I do abs every day, and I cycle from weighted all the way to assisted, uh, high rep, low rep. I I just randomize the crap out of that one. Oh, so you don't do like uh, kind of same thing with your max day. It's only heavy and dine every day. It's high rep. You kind of just let it fluctuate. Yep. I, it's just uh, whenever I'm typing it in, it's like, okay, it's time for core work. Uh, we'll do a TRX pike. Let's see. What's usually my pain threshold there. Okay. About 20. So we'll do th- three to four sets of 20 so on and so forth and then every now and then i'll be like just max see how i can get uh usually if i add in weight i'll just say max so that that way they can keep track of it and see if they get any more reps the next time it comes around um where is sled in both tactical and powerlifters program so sled usually comes in in my extra work uh strictly because it's easier to convince them to do it then Mm. Uh, but, uh, sleds for my, uh, tackle athletes. So I don't do so much extra work as I do their conditioning days. So on specific conditioning days, I got one where I've been able to get the sled to replicate a casualty drag. Uh, so I'll do that stuff like with them then, uh, <laughs> on specific conditioning days where they need that, uh, ATP, uh, glycolytic and oxidative pretty much working all at once. Hmm. Um, where's jumping in both of their programs? So jumping always go, uh, any explosive work, jumping, sprinting, uh, plyo pushups, uh, med ball throws that goes before my main lift, uh, on all days. Oh, okay. And I'll do anywhere from like, if, uh, I feel that I'm not really focused on jumping at this point, you'll get maybe <laughs> a five by one of a near max effort box jump. If I'm going for, Hey, I'm more focused on jumping than I am the strength right now. They're going to get like sets of 10 by two, 10 by one of like some max effort jumps. And then uh, dynamic day will go down to, uh, you know, a little bit more volume, but still like kind of that near threshold of like, you really need to get up there. How do you warm up the powerlifters versus the tactical guys? So my powerlifters get a pretty much uh, standard winning warm-up style warm-up. They, mm. get a, they get a general movement, which is the same across the board. It's just like shoulder circles, jumping jacks, like get you moving a little bit, and then everyone moves into their uh, stuff. Powerlifters get a typical winning warm-up of three exercises, three by 25, four by 25 of – what they're going to be hitting that day. One movement needs to be similar to the main movement. The other one, needs to do, it needs to work anything that needs, you know, maybe either a little extra wake up or it needs to be ready to fire uh, as well during that main movement. So like bench usually goes uh, some type of bench press movement, some type of back pulling movement, biceps. And then my tactical athletes get a, more uh, extensive general warm-up 
uh, we actually do start warming up with uh, breath holding, mm. doing breath holding walks. So the goal there is I will have them hold their breath, timer starts, they hold it as long as they can while they're walking at a very brisk pace. Once they let it out, time stops, and their goal is to get to three minutes. What is the uh, why is the breath holding so important for the tactical guys? So the tackle athletes, uh, a lot of the times, <clears throat> they're working in the environment, so they need to be able to hold their breath and provide a massive amount of gas exchange in their body to still be able to function and not want to die under the water, basically. So uh -huh. instead of me being able to take them to a pool and working that, we practice breath holds, which helps. Uh, it'll increase VO2 max, helps uh, correct gas exchange, and if you've ever done it, you actually will feel a little bit more alert once you get to your actual general warm-up. I think I can hold my breath for like 10 seconds. So if somebody puts my head under the water, I will die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you do. Put the shampoo in your hair in the shower. It's like, bro, I got 10 seconds. Oh, I'm fucking yeah, dying I got, here. I get the soap off here. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that not really important for you know just general population? I mean, I guess you know if you want to fight, yes. But I'm just for like powerlifting. That's like a totally different skill that is needed for them. But does that have any carryover to the regular person or powerlifting? It can. It can. Like um, mm -hmm. Typically, what I see uh, people who use this are athletes, MMA fighters, people who just need that like they are not going to be breathing regularly like most people are uh, during mm. their unquote, job. Uh, general pop, I have done it with some people. Typically, though, like people who are just like they're like, hey, I just want to get stronger, this and that, or, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, the breath holding just has no appeal to them whatsoever, especially when you don't have <laughs> any. Like if you have been in the pool and like people are like not letting you get up to the surface, <laughs> you have a little bit more of appreciation for like I need to make sure I can hold my breath. <laughs> I'd be like, stop going to that pool, my guy. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Um. Any anything else you got to say? I, th that, I think that's all the questions. I'll, I'm always gonna forget, but I'll just DM you. But any any other thing you want to say about you know what you do? Uh, so yeah, so the one thing I'll say if, uh, for anyone who also does, uh, tactical athletes and is struggling, uh, I just want to say that tactical athletes are going to be the hardest athletes that you have to coach, not because like the skill set is just so elite that like you need this complicated coaching program, getting the buyback and getting them sold on the fact that you can make them better is just a rough sell because most of them think they either know it all or they don't want to be in the military in the first place and they made a mistake. So it's just hard to get them motivated. So if you're running into that, don't get discouraged. Just keep looking for the ones that are ready to get to that next level. Uh, they are out there. And once you show them the limelight of your program, uh, they'll stick with it. Yeah. It's funny you say that. Cause I deal with that with just, the, with just the, uh, athletes that I train now so sometimes kids sometimes college kids I mean I've had kids who are like hey look at all these kids that I make them do the similar stuff you do and they're still like no I want to do this and it's just like yeah geez like I try to be nice and it's 
after all, I was like, you know what? Well, I guess I can't help everybody. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my question is uh, always to that is, well, then why are you coming to me? Exactly. Right. I, I, <laughs> oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. Um, well, I appreciate you coming on, man. <laughs> yeah, it's been no problem. It's been fun, despite the uh, couple technical issues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so t- tell everybody where they can find you and, and, you know, your coaching information and all that. All right. So uh, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. My Twitter is not that active. Uh, you'll have to excuse me on that. I have ADHD, and I do not pay attention to what I'm supposed to be doing all the time. But uh, if you want to reach out to me, the best way is going to be Big Hog Barbell on Instagram. It's just at Big Hog Barbell, no caps. Uh, and that's on Instagram. My page has like information, studies that I find. It's a uh, training log. It's got a lot of things in there. Uh, and I just try and like make something for everyone so that they can maybe get that just that one thing that says, oh, man that might actually change something that I got wrong with me. Even if you don't to me, if, if I've done that for you, then I feel like I've done a good job. Oh, oh, there was, there was two things I was going to say. How important do you think it is for uh, strength coaches to uh, get into the FRC and get certified and stuff? Because um, I don't know. I just feel like that's, that's kind of a crucial part. And I feel like, out of all the things I've seen and dealing with like physical therapists and stuff, maybe it's just me, but I feel like that is more important than that. So how do you, how do how important do you think it's for maybe strength coaches to get that certification and dabble into that? So I think, okay, I got to word this the right way without getting crucified. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't say FRC itself is the main important thing that you need to get to. While I am 100% sold on FRC, and I think if you are going to go for a cert like that, they are the people to do it through. But as a strength coach, if you don't have any type of you know manual therapy kind of certification, RPR, FRC, you're just doing yourself a disservice because that's a good way to just not only prevent injuries, but help like keep you from sending people just to the doctor all the time or, or trainer or physical therapist, because it's like, well, we'll do this exercise to correct it. It doesn't correct it. It makes it worse. So on and so forth. Uh, then they have to go see a physical therapist. I think it's usually important. You need something along that line of here's how to correct body dysmorphic issues. Like something's Mm. just wrong. If you get one of those, then you're set. But FRC is definitely at the top for me. Um, when you took the special strengths for sir, what did you think was the most important like books that you had to have down pat? Oh, so definitely super training. Um, when it came, that's crazy because you know. Do you know the guy uh, Chad Far- Farrar Far- Faria? He, he, yeah, he owns yeah. uh, Bristol. He said I had him on. He said. I didn't, I didn't read that shit. He said it was too damn hard. And I told him the same thing. I'm trying to read this shit. I can't fucking get it. I said, bro, I read everything else. I can't read that. God damn. So the reason super training is for me is just because, like, you can find – so you don't need to read it. You guys are absolutely right. You can find <laughs> other books, definitely. That's yeah. the book I started with because in my mind, I was like, 
I'm going to tackle the biggest book first. I got 10 pages in and I definitely told myself I've made a mistake. <laughs> I read the first hundred and it took, and, and I was reading it like thoroughly and it took me like a month to get through a hundred. And then I just, man, I just stopped, man. I can't, I can't do it. But I feel like once you get a grasp on things, super training is definitely going to be the most, it's going to be the most reference uh, one for his uh, special strength certs. Uh, right. Other than that, if you're having trouble getting down with super uh, training, uh, it's not really referenced as much, but it kind of dumbs down super training for you is the special strength coaching manual for coaches. The one that Louie wrote? You saying that one? No, the uh, the one that Vershnowski wrote. Oh, okay. I think I think that's one of the ones that – because Chad actually sent me a few because I was like, oh, I don't have – these was then he just sent me a bunch of them. I I didn't do. I'm reading right now the manage the managing the training of the weightlifter, mm-hmm. and then he was like focus on the. Uh, uh, I think it's the science and practice of strength training. If it's not, uh, I think that's I think that's the one. Yeah, that's because I read science of sports training. I read that one. Yeah, uh, but that the special strengths manual that that one's really good at like taking the super training knowledge and kind of saying, Hey, this is what we mean. <laughs> <laughs> Get out the goddamn lab talking about the spindles of the muscle and shit. I said, bro, if I'm not using this shit. I'm not going to remember. I do not know what I'm looking at. Chad was like, if Louie got to reread it five times, I'm not, I'm going to struggle with this. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly read it. it was, mm. There's no freaking way Louie read this through like twice. What it said. <laughs> yeah, you know him, the, the hypertrophy. <laughs> he he was also saying to um to just listen to the first like twenty something podcast like thoroughly that from Westside, and then also just have all of Louis stuff down packed. He said that was like huge because that's a big chunk of the certification. Yeah. So like what, what probably helped me out the most was um, just because like I can read stuff, but it doesn't always make sense until I kind of like get a yeah. different explanation and kind of can see it from two viewpoints, listening to the podcast yeah. or watching his like DVDs and stuff like that, that yeah. he has definitely helped me out as well. You, you, I noticed that you watch all the DVDs. You know the one where he goes over recovery and he's in the goddamn jacuzzi rubbing the goddamn yeah. on himself? <laughs> I was not expecting that turn. <laughs> My favorite is uh, like anytime he's just talking shit about people and he does that shit where he puts his head back and forth and he says something where I'm crying. <laughs> he says some of the funniest shit ever. <laughs> it was when he was doing the NFL combine, and he goes, oh, "Yeah, I why athletes keep tearing hamstrings? It's just retarded." Is <laughs> <laughs> the first time you want to come in first, buy one. You want to come in second, don't buy one. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, I quote that man like every day with my kids. I swear, I swear, I cook. shit's true. <laughs> yeah, he's he's always been right from what I. <laughs> Uh, so so where do you, where do you stay at right now? Where you live? Uh, I'm in Jacksonville, North Carolina. 
Oh, that's what, yeah, that's why you're so damn close. Cause uh, Donnie's in South Carolina, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys are close. Yeah. Well, that's all. That's all I got for you, man. <laughs> all right then. It was good to be on. All right. I appreciate you. You have a good one. You too. Well, that's all she wrote. I hope y'all really enjoyed that one. A lot of good information on how to train those two very different ends of the spectrum as far as strength and conditioning for the tactical guys versus the power lifters. Um, as always, you can find me on Instagram. That's K-A-L-I-L underscore S-H-E-R-R-O-D, Khalil Sherrod. Um, you can also watch uh, the videos on my YouTube page that I started. It's just Khalil Sherrod, the same exact thing. That's where all the uh, videos from the seminar will be. I just dropped the first two. I'll be dropping another one on Saturday, and then I'll probably start uploading um, workouts and training and maybe even Q&A on there. And make sure to like, subscribe, share both the podcast and the YouTube page. If you're a coach or know a coach that wants to be on the podcast, just DM me and uh, stay tuned. So for that next person that I'll be interviewing, remember, stay clean. Peace.